Jesus Teaching in Genesareth and Banks of the Jordan. Part 13. Jesus Goes from Abomahala to Bezek. Next morning found Jesus still at the school of Abomahala. He was quite surrounded by the little girls who crowded close upon him, holding on to his garments and clasping his hand. He was unspeakably kind to them and exhorted them to obedience and the fear of God. The larger ones stood back. The disciples present were somewhat annoyed and uneasy. They were anxious for their master to take his departure. According to their Jewish notions, such familiarity with children was not becoming in a prophet, and they feared it would injure his reputation. Jesus did not trouble himself about their thoughts. After he had instructed all the children, addressed some exhortations to the larger ones, and encouraged their teachers in their good resolutions, he directed one of the disciples to give the little girls a present and each in effect received two small coins fastened together. I think they were two drachmas. Then Jesus blessed them all in general, and left the place with the disciples, starting eastward toward the Jordan. During the journey, Jesus taught in a field before some huts where a crowd of laborers and shepherds had gathered. About four o'clock that afternoon, they reached the neighborhood of Bezek, about two hours east of Amalavala, and near the Jordan. It was like two distinct cities, lying as it did on both sides of a stream that flowed into the Jordan. The country around was hilly and rugged. The houses stood somewhat scattered. Bezek was less than a city than two united villages. The inhabitants lived to themselves with very little intercourse with strangers. They were chiefly engaged in husbandry, and they leveled their rugged and hilly farmlands with great labor. They also manufactured agricultural implements for sale and wove coarse carpets and canvas for tents. About an hour and a half from this place, the Jordan made a bend toward the west, as if about to flow straight to Mount Olivet. It turned back, however, thus forming a kind of peninsula on its eastern bank, upon which stood a row of houses. And coming from Galilee to Amala, Jesus had to cross the little river. Anon was on the opposite side of the Jordan, about four hours, perhaps, from Bezek. Jesus taught in an inn outside the city, the first of those erected for his and the disciples' accommodation that he had met on this journey since leaving Bethania. It was in the charge of a pious, upright man who went out to meet the travelers, washed their feet, and gave them refreshments, after which Jesus entered the city. The superintendents of the school came out into the street to receive him, and he visited several houses and cured the sick. There were now thirty disciples with Jesus. Those from Jerusalem and its environs had arrived with Lazarus, and several of John's disciples had come. Some of the latter were just from Machaerus, with a message to Jesus from their master, a pressing request to reveal himself more clearly and to say only that he was the Messiah. Among these messengers of John was the son of the widower Cleophas. I think he was Cleophas of Emmaus, a relative of Cleophas the husband of Mary's eldest sister. Another of these disciples was Judas Barsabbas, related to Zachary of Hebron. His parents, though living now in Cana, had once dwelt in Nazareth. Among these disciples of John, I still recall others. The sons of Mary Heli, eldest sister of the Blessed Virgin, were John's disciples. They were born so long after their sister Mary Cleophas that they were scarcely older than her sons. They clung to the Baptist until he was beheaded, and then joined the disciples of Jesus. 
The married couple who directed the inner Bezek were good, devout people. They observed continence by virtue of a vow, although they were not Assyrians. They were distant relatives of the Holy Family. During his stay here, Jesus had several private interviews with these good people. All the friends and disciples ate and slept with Jesus in the newly erected inn. They found ready for them, thanks to the forethought of Lazarus and the holy women, table furniture, covers, carpets, beds, screens, and even sandals and other articles of clothing. Martha had near the desert of Jericho a house full of women whom she kept busy preparing all these things. She had gathered together many poor widows and penniless girls who were striving to lead a good life. There they lived and worked together. All was carried on quietly and unknown to the public. It was no little thing to provide for so many inns and so many people, and to superintend them constantly. Above all, to send messengers around to them, or give them personal attention. Next morning, Jesus delivered a long and magnificent discourse on a hill in the middle of the city, where the inhabitants had erected for him a teacher's chair. The crowd was great, and among them were about ten Pharisees, who had come from the places around with the intention of catching Jesus in his words. His teaching's hero was mild and full of love, for the people who were well disposed had profited by John's visit and instructions, and especially by the baptism which many of them had received. Jesus exhorted them to remain contented with their humble condition, to be industrious, and to show mercy to their neighbor. He spoke of the reign of grace, of the kingdom, of the Messiah, and more significantly than ever of himself. He alluded to John and his testimony, to his imprisonment, and the persecution directed against him. He spoke likewise of the royal adulterer, for the denunciation of whom John had been cast into prison, though in Jerusalem certain men guilty of the same crime, but who had carried on their evil doings less openly than Herod, had been condemned and executed. Jesus spoke significantly and to the point. He gave particular admonitions to each condition, age, and sex. The Pharisee, having asked whether he was going to take John's place, or whether he was the one of whom John had spoken, Jesus answered indirectly and reproached the questioner with his evil intention to entrap him. After that, Jesus gave a very touching instruction to the boys and girls. He counseled the boys to bear with one another. If one should strike a companion or throw him down, the ill-treated party should bear it patiently and think not of retaliating. He should turn away in silence, forgiving his enemy, and his love should become twice as great as it was before. Yes, for they should show affection even to enemies. They should not covet the goods of others. If a boy wanted the pen, the writing materials, the plaything, the fruit belonging to his neighbor, the latter should relinquish not only the object coveted, but give him still more, if allowed to do so. They should fully satisfy their neighbor's cupidity, if permitted to give the things away. For only the patient, the loving, and the generous should have a seat in his kingdom. This seat Jesus described to them in childlike terms as a beautiful throne. He spoke of earthly goods, which a man must give up in order to attain those heaven. Among other admonitions to the girls, he warned them not to seek to excel others, not to envy others for their fine clothes, but to be gentle and obedient, to love their parents, and fear God. At the close of the public instruction, Jesus turned to his disciples, consoled them with more than ordinary tenderness, and exhorted them to bear all things with him, and not to be preoccupied with the cares of this world. He promised that they should be richly rewarded by their Father in heaven, 
and with himself should possess the kingdom. He spoke to them of the persecutions that he and they would have to suffer, and said plainly, If the Pharisees, Sadducees, or the Herodians should love or praise ye, it would be a sign that ye had wandered from my teachings and were no longer my disciples. He mentioned those sects with significant nicknames. Then he praised the people of the place, particularly for their charitable compassion, for they often took poor orphans from the school at Abmala into their service. He congratulated them on the new synagogue they had built by contribution, in which some of the devout souls of Capernaum also had joined. Then he cured many of their sick, took a repast with all the disciples at the inn, and in the evening, when the Sabbath began, went to the synagogue. Jesus taught in the synagogue from 51.12. I, I myself, will comfort you. He spoke against human respect, telling them that they should not fear the Pharisees and other oppressors, but remember that God had created them and preserved them till the present. He explained the words, I have put my words in thy mouth, to mean that God had sent the Messiah, that this Messiah was God's word in the mouth of his people, that this Messiah gave utterance to God's word, and that they themselves were God's people. Jesus applied all this so clearly to himself the Pharisees whispered among themselves that he was palming himself off for the Messiah. Then he said that Jerusalem should awaken from her intoxication, for the hour of wrath had passed and that of grace had dawned. The unfruitful synagogue had given birth to not one that could lead and raise up the poor people, but now should sinners, hypocrites, and oppressors be chastised and oppressed in their turn. Jerusalem should arise, Sion should awaken. Jesus applied all in a spiritual sense to the pious and holy, to the penitent, to those that through the Jordan, that is, through baptism, should go into the promised land of Canaan, into the kingdom of his Father. The uncircumcised, the impure, the licentious, the sinful, should no longer corrupt the people. He taught of redemption, and of the name of God, which should now be announced among them. Then, from 16, 17, and 18, he spoke of judges, judges and public officers, of prevarication and bribery, and invade vehemently against the Pharisees. After that, he cured many sick outside the synagogue. The next day, Jesus again taught in the synagogue, taking his texts from 51 and 52, and from 16 to 21. He spoke of John and the Messiah. He gave signs by which the latter might be recognized, and they were different from those by which he usually designated him. He said plainly that he himself was the Messiah, for many of his hearers were already, through the teaching of John, well prepared for the announcement. Jesus based this part of his discourse upon 52, verses 13 to 15. He said, The Messiah will gather you together. He will be full of wisdom. He will be exalted and glorified. Many of ye have shuddered at the thought of Jerusalem's being laid waste and desolate under the rule of the Gentiles. And in like manner, will your Redeemer be persecuted and despised by men. He will be a man without repute among other men, and yet he will baptize, will purify the Gentiles. He will teach kings who will be silent before him, and they to whom he has not been announced will both hear of him and see him. Jesus recounted all that he had done, all the miracles he had wrought since his baptism, the persecution he had undergone at Jerusalem and Nazareth, the contempt he had endured spying and scornful laughter of the Pharisees. He alluded to the miracle at Cana, to the healing of the blind, the dumb, the deaf, the lame, 
and to the raising from the dead of the daughter of Jairus of Faisal. Pointing in the direction of Fazil, he said, It is not very far from here. Go and ask whether I say the truth. Then he continued, Ye have seen and known John. He proclaimed himself the precursor of the Messiah, the preparer of his ways. Was John an effeminate man, one given to the softness and delicacy of high life? Was he not rather reared in the wilderness? Did he dwell in palaces? Did he eat of costly dishes? Did he wear fine clothing? Did he make use of flattering words? But he called himself the precursor. Then did not the servant wear the livery of his lord? But a king, a rich, a glorious, a powerful king, such as ye expect your Messiah to be, have such a precursor. And yet ye have the Redeemer in your midst, and ye will not recognize him. He is not such as your pride would have him. He is not such as ye are yourselves. Therefore you will not acknowledge him. Jesus then turned to 18, verses 18 to 19. I will raise them up a prophet out of the midst of their brethren. And he that will not hear his words, which he shall speak in my name, I will be the revenger. And he delivered a powerful discourse upon these texts. No one dared oppose a word to his teaching. He said, John lived solitary in the desert. He mingled not with men, and he blamed the life he led. I go from place to place, I teach, I heal, and that too ye blame. What kind of a Messiah do you want? Each one would like to have a Messiah according to his own ideas. You resemble children running in the streets. Each makes for himself the instrument he likes best. One brings forth low, bass notes from the horn he has twisted out of bark. Another screeches high on his flute of reeds. Then Jesus named all kinds of playthings used by children, saying that his hearers were like the owners of those toys. Each wanted to sing upon his own note. Each was pleased with his own toy alone. Toward evening, when Jesus left the synagogue, he found a great crowd of sick awaiting for him outside. Some were lying on litters over which awnings had been stretched. Jesus, followed by his disciples, went from one to the other, curing them. Here and there appeared some poor possessed, raging and crying after him. He delivered them as he passed, and commanded of them to be silent. There were paralytics, consumptives, the deaf, the dumb, and the dropsical, with tumors or scrofulous swellings on their neck. Jesus healed all, one after the other, by the imposition of hands, though his manner and touch were different in different cases. Some were entirely cured at once, a little weakness alone remaining. Others were greatly relieved, the perfect cure following quickly according to the nature of the malady and the dispositions of the invalid. The cure moved away, chanting a psalm of David. But there were so many sick that Jesus could not go around among them all. The disciples lent their aid in raising, supporting, and disembarrassing them of their wrappings and covers. At last Jesus laid his hands on the head of Andrew, of John, and of Judas Barsabbas, took their hands into his own, and commanded them to go and, in his name, do to some of the sick as he had done. They instantly obeyed and cured many. After that, Jesus and the disciples returned to the inn, where they took a repast at which no stranger was present. Jesus blessed the food. A great part of it was left, and this he sent to the poor heathens encamped outside Bezek, and to the other poor. The disciples had instructed the pagans belonging to the caravans. Immense multitudes had assembled in Bezek from both shores of the Jordan. All that had heard John were now eager to hear Jesus. The heathen caravans, though on their way to Anon, had come hither to hear him. 
but as it was about three quarters of an hour from the Jordan on a swiftly flowing stream which divided the city into two parts.